Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And I've got to say good morning to mums. Yes. Uh, those autumn leaves are falling fast. We're coming to the end of autumn. And the question we pose very shortly is, what happens to those autumn leaves when they hit the ground? Why are we so insistent that you save the (laughs) autumn leaves, that they're a valuable commodity? And Tim Marshall is chairman of NASA, the National Organization for Organic Gardening, but he's a wonderful uh, organic gardener and has written many books on organic gardening. So we'll say good morning to Tim very, very shortly. And later in the program, Brett Draper will comment on getting colourful flowers for Mother's Day. Exactly. As we heard a little earlier, white chrysanthemums may be not the right thing to get, but there's plenty of colour available for Mums for Mother's Day tomorrow. And I have two May ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away as well a little bit later in the program. But right now, if you have an organic gardening question, we've got the man that can answer it for you right here in the studio, Tim Marshall. So call in now, jump in the queue on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We'll get to as many calls as we can before half past nine before we get back into general talk back gardening as usual. Brett Draper, as we said, a little bit later in the program. Tim Marshall, organic gardener, is in the studio. He comes to South Australia on a regular basis. He runs courses for different people and uh, gives lectures on organic gardening but he's here in the studio and we're going to talk organic gardening and in particular we're going to look at those autumn leaves that fall to the ground. Good morning to you, Tim Marshall, and welcome back to South Australia. Good morning, John, and good morning to everyone else. So let's look at those autumn leaves. They fall on the ground, and if they don't get blown away, um, they disappear. You can have, say, a a, a big layer of autumn leaves sitting on the ground underneath your uh, lovely uh, deciduous tree, and uh, it goes all mushy, and you go out there perhaps towards the end of September, and all the leaves have gone. Mm. Where do they go and why? Well, uh, they've gone where all good organic matter needs to go, which is back into the soil. Um, they, remember, first of all, that the tree has taken what we call all the, the mobile nutrients, the, the really important nutrients, back into the tree um, so that when it produces uh, next year, those nutrients are available uh, for, for the spring growth. I- importantly, the chlorophyll molecules disappeared with uh, the vital magnesium that, that is critical to that molecule. And um, some of those leaves will be really colourful. And uh, they'll be colourful because mainly the green has, the chlorophyll has gone back into the tree. The, the other colours were always there. They were just masked by the chlorophyll. So what that means is that those leaves are a little bit less nutrient-filled than if they had fallen green, okay? So that is going to actually slow up their, uh, their, their uh, breakdown a little bit more. Uh, uh, they're going to be a bit slower to break down, uh, which is actually quite useful because it means they're cover for all of uh, winter and protection against the hard rain and those sorts of things. Okay, so there's yeah. those leaves, and I think the perception is that once the... Uh, leaves drop down because uh, there's nothing there you're saying that there is something there there's nutrients there and uh, my perception has been for a long time that the leaves just have organic matter it's more than just the organic matter but the organic matter itself is important oh absolutely i mean uh, all plants are basically made of the same thing which is which is sugars it's carbon hydrogen and oxygen now the 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 hydrogen and the oxygen come from water and air, but the carbon is the vital bit that we need to put back into the soil. We all know there's a critical requirement now to store as much of that carbon as we can back into the soil, not into the atmosphere. All right, so, so let's yeah. take a look at how that leaf gets broken down and turns up mm. back as carbon to build up the soil carbon and also uh, to feed what I call the little greeblies out there. But yes. I'll leave that for you to explain. Well, very importantly, that breakdown process happens underneath the mulch layer and between the 
mulch and the soil. And that's this wonderful thing that we call the O horizon. Okay, so most people know there's a topsoil is the A horizon and subsoil is the B horizon and the base below that is the C horizon. The O horizon is absolutely critical. It's where all of much of the processing happens and certainly where it starts. So at that point, it is between the mulch layer and the soil. Now, if you get down on your hands and knees and look underneath plants or underneath mulch, you'll see this little deep brown or even black layer that's the critical bit and if you want to know how important it is to have a cover on the soil either green plants or mulch just brush that away in part of your soil and come back an hour or two hours later and then have a look and that layer has completely gone it's absolutely gone so it's vital to have cover okay so that's where it's all happening, just underneath the mulch and between the mulch and the soil. Okay, now you say that's where it's all happening. What's happening? Yeah. Well, what happens there, critically, is that the, 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 the larger beasties, you know, the, the, the wood lice and the millipedes and those sorts of things, they're starting to munch that leaf material down and break it down into smaller portions that can work its way into the soil because the leaf itself can't get into the soil. It's got to be broken down and there's a whole set of uh, uh, the, the, the little crawling creatures and then some bacteria that get to it first and begin to break it down. And then it, when it goes into the soil, then because it's full of carbon, uh, the bacteria aren't quite as good at breaking it down and then the fungi will take over and they will do the absolutely critical bit of returning it to the, to the uh, plant-available carbon. Last time you were here, you were, got people excited because you said, the soil, John, is alive. It's alive with microbes. So where mm. are the micro- what are the microbes and how do they come into the picture? Uh, well, this is the essential nub of what organic is actually all about. Okay? It is life. You know? So uh, not more than 5% of the soil is actually made of that living things but without that five percent we have something that isn't really very useful at all certainly isn't going to produce the food and the beautiful plants that we want it's the critical bit so uh, what you've got there is you've got the broken down material like the leaves and the long clippings and those sorts of things but the many 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 bugs that feed on them and are part of the, the ecosystem that breaks it down. An ecosystem that's as complex as any rainforest uh, in, uh, in terms of its diversity. I call yeah. them greeblies, you just call them bugs. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. you describe a, a bug or a greebly for us? Okay. Because well, <laughs> there are millions of them. There right? are many, many, many different types. The most important ones that we know about are the bacteria, and they're the fast processes. They're doing the quick turnover. And then also really critical is the fungi, and we've all learned a lot more recently about the importance of the fungi. The fungi are the ones who, they produce enzymes that can get to the hard-to-break-down uh, carbon materials. So it's really critical to have those. Um, so, But basically, plants are just made of sugar, and the longer and longer and longer the sugar chain becomes, the more woody that material becomes and the harder it is to break down. And that's where we need the very special enzymes made by the fungi. And they're basically crawling all around, all under the soil, putting out their feelers. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I saw recently, because I review films for Sonia Feldhoff's Afternoons mm -hmm. program, The Giants, mm -hmm. about Bob Brown, but it was also about rainforests. Yes. And they showed diagrammatically the interconnections between trees and the biomes in the soil and the complexity was mind-blowing. Uh, absolutely. Now, uh, here's just a little statistic. If you've got a really good, well-tilled rye plant or something like that, you can have 70 kilometres of roots. Amazing. 70 kilometres 70 of, kilometers of roots, just now, under one plant. Yeah, that's counting all the little root hairs yes. and those sorts of things, okay? But if you have a really good fungi that actually grows that, that grows into and around those roots, that extends the useful feeding system of that plant by ten to one hundred times. So this just this massive, uh, you know, everything about the soil is alive. 
Yeah, okay, so the, the, these little fungal areas, yes. uh, this is the rhizosphere, mm. isn't it? So w- when it rains, you know, from now on, if you go out to an area that's got a woody mulch, and if, if your soil is, is, is good, you should be able to lift up that woody mulch and you'll see what looks like little white fibres everywhere, okay, under the mulch. And what that is, is the, uh, the fungi. The, the fruiting bodies that we see, the little mushroom-shaped things, that's only 5%. That's, the, that's basically the, the, the reproductive part of, of the fungi. But uh, after rain, when you're under, under a woody mulch, is where you'll really see the evidence of how fast that can spread and how thick it can be. All right, so there's the fungi, there's the bacteria. Um, an ag- um, agronomy friend of mine sent me some research information <laughs> last night, and I was... My mind was blown because it basically indicated that 70%, 70% of the carbon in the soil comes from dead microbes. The microbes are in the soil and, and they die and, and mm. they, they, they are the main source of carbon. Yes, that is the storage system for the slow relief fertiliser that organic gardeners absolutely rely upon. Okay, And it's one of the reasons why... Uh, Organic fertilisers are perceived to be slow because they need to be applied earlier so you can get the organic life that they stimulate and then that life begins to break down and as you've just suggested, it's in the bodies of that life that you have the storage system. Now that's where the roots can get in. They can't get, you know, they don't actually go and consume a bacteria or a beastie. (laughs) They consume... The, the remnants of, uh, of the, the bacteria or, or the, the, the soil insect. Or so the, 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 yeah, mm. the little microbes are there in, in trillions. Yes. They're building up the soil, and as they die, they're putting, leaving the carbon behind. Yes. But in the meantime, they've also pr- produced nutrients, which the plant wants. How yes. does the plant... How, how does the, there's the plant. Uh, it's got its roots... And, and the importance of what's happening at the end of the roots and how, and how that interfaces with the organic matter. Yes. Now, most plants, that there's some exceptions like desert plants, but for most plants, they're continuously looking for nutrients in the soil and putting out new roots. So if you go under your orange tree and you tip out a bag of you know, horse manure or any other sort of nutrients and then you come back three weeks later, you'll dig there and you'll find all the roots because they've been searching then they find a food source, send back the message to the plant, and many, many more, many more roots come. The actual feeding comes from little root hairs. So to be feeding well, the plant is continuously producing new root hairs. It's the root tips. It's the root tips it, it, that at, do all the work, well, and without well, the root tips, it doesn't work. The tip itself has a little hard case, which is for pushing through the soil. Just behind that, you have... These tiny little hairs. Now, you need a magnifying glass to look at them, but in, but in a plant that's growing fast and well, you'll be able to see these. looks like little furry bits, and they're, they're just little extensions of the root. That is where the nutrients go in. And for most plants, they pretty much only go there. So if you go back up the, uh, the root, you'll see the root hairs that were produced three weeks ago. They've almost stopped working. Almost no nutrients go going through there, so the plant is always feeling, always putting out new new root, uh, roots, and it's the young roots that are critical for keeping the plant well fed. Aha! So somebody's got a pot plant, yes, and uh, they forget to water it, yes, and the the soil dries out, and presumably and now you're left with the old root tips, and they are that those old root hairs are really not very efficient. Yeah. Okay, and that causes the, the, the setback. So we yes. sort of say that the, the yeah. tree has got, uh, or the yeah. plant has got a setback because yeah. it's the root tips. When the root tips die, yes. that's when you get problems with your plant. Absolutely. And if you investigate your roots, remember that they should always be bright white and certainly they shouldn't be brown or black or have any lesions. They should be white. And I think it's time now to sort of come back to sort of uh, we're talking about the science of what's happening in the soil, which is quite fascinating. And I think uh, more people are starting to understand Mm. what Tim has been saying for the past 20 years. But uh, let's encourage people to come in with their questions about organic gardening and your organic gardening problem and uh, maybe you're using different kind of uh, organic products uh, if you'd like 
some clarification of those, how they work, Tim, I'm sure, would be ha- more than happy to talk. That's right. I- I've learnt so much this morning already. I did not know we had an O-horizon between the mulch and the soil, so uh, that's just one of the many things I've learnt from you this morning, Tim Marshall, our organic gardening expert. He's here for about another 10 minutes. If you'd like to put a question directly to him, call in now on 1300 or download the ABC Listen app, favourite ABC Radio Adelaide, and then you can just tap the app and call straight through. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Lovely to be with you on this gorgeous autumn weekend. Mother's Day tomorrow we'll be talking about uh, some lovely gift ideas for good gardening mums a little bit later in the program. But right now we have organic gardening expert Tim Marshall here. He's certainly educating me, uh, I'm sure many of us, with some of the things he's raising. And we have got um, some calls coming through, so I might go to those before um, I return, John, you to the questions as well. Jeff has called in from Stonyfell. Jeff, you would like some advice on water repellent soil and organics. Yes, I'm into mulch. I have a shredder and I shred up branches of the trees. I add vegetable waste into large bins about a metre wide by half a metre high and deep. And I take up my old soil, which is highly water repellent. And at this stage, I would have four or five garbage bins full of dead soil. What I have been doing is throwing a few shovels full of that onto the mulch, then adding in and leaving it there for some time stirring now, now I've got four or five bins of this old, tired, uh, sandy, stony fill soil. What can I do anything with it whilst it's in the bins? Before uh, the, uh, the slow process of what I have been doing. Uh, I think the answer to that is no. Really, it needs to go back to the soil. Now, once it's back into the soil, you can do a few things for it. Firstly, is add into it your compost. And so organic matter is the the, 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 uh, the ultimate solution to non-wetting. But if it's already dry, it can be really hard to wet up. So there you have a few uh, uh, options. The, the, the best organic wetting agent, I'm going to tell you, is definitely going to be a weak seaweed solution. Uh, if you've got a worm farm, you can use your worm juice. So... I, as an organic gardener, I prefer those as the best wetting agents. The other thing that's really important to know about uh, non-wetting soil is it's only a problem when it's not wet. So uh, once you get it wet, you try and keep your attention on it and keep it wet by attention to watering, but also, by, of course, by using mulches. And to make it wet, because um, even if you put compost in it, if it's dry... The process from going to dry to wet is a problem. So there we do um, a couple of things, and the most important one is what we call pulse watering. Watering. So in other words, instead of leaving your hose on for an hour and a, uh, a quarter, turn the hose on for 10 to 15 minutes, then turn it off. Then give it a rest for a while, then turn the hose on again and let it wet again. Now, each time you turn the water off and on again, you get the wetting front moves forward a little bit more. It pushes that wetting front forwards in the soil. So you'll get a, a, a by doing 10 minutes of watering and 10 minutes off and 10 minutes watering and 10 minutes off, you'll have a much more efficient watering system than just leaving the hose on for half And an once hour. the soil is wetted up, if I yeah. can use that term, it stays wet. It doesn't, yeah. uh, yes. and so long as you don't let it dry out again. That, uh, yeah, it, it, that, that's that's the, the, another critical thing. Once it's wet, try and keep it wet. So, regular watering and use of mulch. Thanks, Jeff. Very good question indeed. Jan at Onkaparinga Hills, your soil has gone off. What does that mean? <laughs> um, yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, hi, uh, Tim and. And uh, John, I, some in, I have an acre of land, and I've been here usually for many years, and I've slowly planted a lot of plants. And when I dig up the soil, it's quite clay in a lot of areas, so it's thick clay-type soil. It, some of it, when I dig it up, it's actually there's a whole block of white or off-white. I call it soil, but it smells off, and, it, and I don't believe it is soil. So I don't know what's happening, and I notice that where the plants are around that, they don't grow. 
And what I've been doing is I've been digging it up and th- and putting it in the, just throwing it into the general bin because I think it's it's not healthy. And then trying to, I'm now trying to compost. Um, we've got some claret ashes and I always save the, the mulch, make the mulch from those and that to improve the soil. But I'm just wondering, I've not ever been able to find out what this is in the soil. Do you have any idea? So you're talking about a, a white powdery substance? Yes. Okay, several yes. things it could be. And one of the main things it could be is, is actually a, a thing called Nactinomycetes. Um, it could actually be a sign of some of the non-wetting tendencies that we were just talking about. And so some, some of the several causes of non-wetting, but one of the main causes is a predominance of a particular type of fungi that will actually coat the little particles in the soil and it becomes super abundant and to the exclusion of other things so again uh, a good compost and a good wetting regime will uh, diversify the soil uh, ecosystem and that will uh, help to overcome the superabundance of the wrong type of fungi. So rather than put them into the waste bin, all I had to do was just dig them up and mix them up with the rest. Yes, the last two callers have both talked talk about removing soil, uh, soil from the soil uh, from the ground. And in fact, I would say that everything you need to do to that soil is going to happen in the soil. So it's more a case of what you put onto the soil or into the soil. Um, and that's where it should all be happening. Yeah. Thank you, Jan. Interesting also. Martin is in Seacliff Park with a compost question. Welcome, Martin. Uh, yes, hello, everyone. Um, I have a question in regards to how far, or when you're making a compost, I have a tumbler and I have a black bin with a lid. With the black bin and the lid, I'll put all my nitrogen, all my car- carbon in. How do I know, two questions is, how do I know when the compost is ready to use and how do I know when it's gone too far? That is, sometimes it will turn black and then not decompose anymore. Okay, so the tumblers are the most difficult system to use. The uh, the black bins are actually reasonably easy to use, but there is a couple of things that people neglect to do. Firstly, about, uh, about every... Th- 30 centimetres or so as you build it up, you could put a, a little bit, a handful of uh, lime and you could put a spadeful of good soil. Okay, That'll make sure you've got all the right bugs and uh, the process will break down. You know, if you're just feeding your kitchen waste into one of those bins, it can take a very long time to fill it up. You know, If, you, if it's just you and the household... It could easily take two years to fill one of those bins. So um, how do you know it's breaking down? Uh, Well, uh, uh, it will be breaking down. It's just a case of how fast it's processing. So if you're putting a lot of dry material in, then you will need to water it. If you're only putting in banana peels and things straight out of the kitchen, you'll hardly need to water it at all. And, uh, of course, what you see at the top is the most recently added material and it's not broken down what's happening at the bottom i i have a little spiral tool which is easy to buy from all sorts of, of tools and and that spiral tool uh which is made by the same manufacturer that does most of the bins and you can turn that spiral down and go right down into the bottom of the compost and pull it up and you can see then it'll bring with it what's down at the bottom that's also the best and most efficient turning tool for a compost if you ever want to turn, turn a compost. You know, or there's other sorts of shapes of tools. I can tell you from long experience they are harder to use and not as efficient to use. So you can try doing a bit of that. But eventually what's down the bottom of your compost is broken down and, uh, and the dark colours uh, uh, could mean success, in fact, because so, the best compost will be... Uh, a very dark chocolate brown, and it can even go in, into the black. What's a, what's a sign of not success is if you go down the bottom there and you can still see autumn leaves or any, anything <laughs> that looks like uh, that you can identify at all as something you put in there. By the you know the, what's down the bottom should be completely homogenous in other words it's just all the same. So can, can you go too far? Because Martin's question was can you can you break it down to the point where it's 
beyond. Ah, work. I'd like to come yes. in there yeah. on a technical yeah. point. Okay, so you've got lots of material, and it's very, very just mainly organic matter, mm. carbon. So you put in lots and lots of carbon, and basically the system stops. Um, mm. And and it's not until you actually add other nutrients. In other words, yeah. if you want to build up the organic matter of the soil, you need not just the carbon, the organic matter, you need nitrogen and sulfur and potash uh, and those nutrients. If you add the nutrients as well as the carbon, you get a build-up of carbon in the soil. But if you don't, you just get to a certain yes. level and it stops. Now, most people are going to use that black bin for household waste, right? So kitchen waste. So if you, if you put into that kitchen waste... You, you really are getting all of the nutrients you need, depending on your diet, of course. But hopefully, with, with your food waste, uh, goes everything you need because the, some of that's going into your tummy. <laughs> and so, and you could also put in, um, you know, your autumn leaves, and you can put in your lawn clippings, but don't put too thick a layer of those things. You know, just a small layer every now and again as you build it up is absolutely fine. Diversity yep. is the actual actually is a key. So when you're making your compost, putting, adding, and you can do it organically, adding other nutrients, particularly the nitrogen and, and the phosphorus and, and the sulphur, how important is that from your point of view? Well, again, if, it, if, you, if you're putting in mainly kitchen waste, you just get those things. They're there. Okay. They're there. They're, there. Okay. They're already there. So the, you've got to the, say autumn leaves, uh, just getting some yeah. chicken manure pellets or something like that and adding yeah. them. If you, if you were going to put in a thick layer of autumn leaves, then you would add a new, new nitrogen source. All right. Well, again, let me sort of use my own mm. uh, example. Um, lovely autumn tree, uh, heaps of leaves, and I'm putting them into great big bins, and I want to be able to convert those leaves into material I can use for potting mix in springtime. Um, if I just leave the leaves alone, it doesn't work. So what do I got to do to five, come out with potting uh, mix? Five percent of pigeon manure or good chicken manure is enough. Okay, 5%. so just, just uh, as I'm putting the leaves in, just put in the, yep. chi the chicken or pigeon manure. Yep. Yeah, wear a mask if you're using yep. pigeon manure. But 5% uh, yes. is enough. Okay, right, yep. thank you. Can I just do a quick speed dating <laughs> style of throwing yeah. questions at you just for quick answers, yeah. please, Tim, on the text line. Uh, Anne wants to know, urine as a fertiliser for citrus, yes or no? Oh, abs absolutely. Absolutely vital fertiliser that we, uh, we, we ignore. Yes. So we still send the guys out to yes, absolutely. we under the tree, as we yeah, if, like to If say. you go to India, you'll realise how vital it is for their farming system. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this one says, um, please ask if a high number of slaters in compost affect the compost pH towards alkaline. No, they do not. Uh, they are a vital and important part of composting. And by the way, you cannot measure pH easily from a compost. And and your very, very good CSO compost tools, measuring, uh, uh, pH measuring tools and all that sort of thing, read the label. They are for measuring soil. You will not get a good result measuring a compost. Okay. Okay. Uh, is it safe to use grapevine leaves that have been contaminated with powdery mildew in the garden or should they be going in the green bin? Anything that's contaminated, you must put through a compost system. A compost system is uh, the magic process for taking uh, uh, everything and turning it into a useful product. Now, the better you are at composting, the safer it is. If you're an absolute novice... Be careful. So maybe the green bin if you're an absolute novice until you learn more. Yeah. And Trevor at Greenock says, um, can I find on some website an illustrated diagram of what you were talking about at the beginning as to what happens in the soil? Hmm. Uh, look, there are many good websites out there, but unfortunately there's some pretty poor ones. So have a look around. And uh, can I just say, my books are hard to buy in the bookshops now, but they are in libraries. Okay. Uh -huh. So just give us the titles of that. Uh, okay. Well, uh, the compost one's called Recycle Your Garden. Recycle uh, Your uh, Garden. Humbly, I'll say the best introductory organic gardening book you can get is called The New Organic Gardener. The new, oh, it's a wonderful book, yes. that one. Yes. yes. And absolutely, that, uh, I, I can assure you, for an introductory book, you won't find a better one. Okay, and it's readily available from, uh, from libraries. Yes. <laughs> so... 
I would like to just change the focus a little bit because we've talked about the fact that the leaves fall on the ground, they get gobbled up, they get broken down, and then in come the hordes of the microorganisms and the vital role they take, and that eventually some of that goes back into the tree, some of it goes just to build up the organic matter in the soil. We haven't discussed soil structure how does soil structure, the health of the soil uh, in terms of the soil structure, how does the soil structure change as a result of all this organic matter we're putting in the soil? Very briefly. Okay. okay. Well, uh, soil structure is hard to, uh, to change. You will rarely be effective by adding, say, sand or clay. That's really very difficult. But again, the magic elixir, the thing that will do best is organic matter. And of course, the more broken down in the form of compost that, or, that, that organic matter is, the quicker it's going to work and the easier it's going to work. And basically, what that's going to do is become the glue that, both, that holds the particles together. Okay, And uh, gypsum can have a bit of a role in this if you have a very clay soil. But when you have a, the glue, effectively a glue that holds the particles together what happens then is between the particles you have the pore spaces which which is where the vital air is you know and this is what this is why you you need to glue those particles together because if it's just sand or just clay between the particles you don't have the pore spaces and that glue that's humus that's humus humus which is the end product of the, the eventual breakdown of organic matter. And you know, it, the, the best place to see that is actually in a worm farm, okay? Because compost is a wonderful thing in itself, and you know, but, but um, the worm farm, if you, if you take a bit of uh, product from the worm farm, uh, it, it looks and feels sticky. And that is, in fact, a good illustration of what I mean when I say that this humus product is a glue. We need to stop at some stage, yes. but before we do, one vital question. As gardeners, we focus very much on putting fertiliser on the soil to improve the health of the plant. Hmm. Should we fa change our focus and say, rather than fertilising the plant, we fertilise the soil? It's what we put in the soil is probably more important than the fertilisers and the nutrients we put on the plant. In fact, if we get the health of the soil right, we might need the fertilisers. Uh, and, and what you've just articulated is absolutely one of the core principles of organic, that you feed plants through the soil. And in an organic system, you use a fertiliser only as a supplement or, uh, you know, as a particular place, like in the beginning of spring when it's just warming up and plants want to get going a little faster, then you use a fertiliser. Otherwise, you should rely on the soil entirely. We need to address other gardening questions, but if you're happy to stay in the studio and you might care to join the conversation. That would be lovely. Tim Marshall, our organic gardening expert. We've learnt so much and he's actually going to join us now for the rest of Talkback mm. Gardening, which is sensational. If you've got a question, call in on 1300 222 This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And... With Tim Marshall, our Organic Gardening Authority. Mike is in Brompton. Good morning, Mike. You need some help with your pineapple. Yes, uh, g'day, um, Deb, uh, John and Tim. Um, about five years ago, I chopped the heads off three pineapples and put them in pots and just left them under a lily-pilly hedge. Um, and for the last few years, I've really just neglected them applied no fertilizer um they might have accumulated a bit of leaf litter and that sort of thing over the time but about three weeks ago i found a pineapple um was in the in the top of one of the plants i thought that was pretty amazing um and there's a second pineapple um top just sprouting off the stem um and I'm just wondering about what to do with the plants. I bought them inside about three weeks ago and put them under UV lights and have just been watering the tops of the fronds and stems. 
And the question is really, should I fertilise them, uh, put them back outside, and what could I do to get the others to fruit? Quite fascinating. Yes, normally pineapples are grown in South Australia from an uh, ornamental point of view, and uh, you need much warmer conditions for them to uh, flower and fruit. But, uh, Tim, you live in uh, uh, New South Wales or uh, you move around Australia. Uh, the concept of, of growing pineapples here in South Australia uh, so that you actually end up with a pineapple, uh, the fruit of the pineapple. Uh, how realistic do you think that is? Uh, it needs to be in a very sunny place. Um, north of Gawler is going to be a lot easier. Riverland's going to be a lot easier. Uh, the it's quite normal that that you know the pineapple comes in the second year. They do grow slowly, so it's not a slow growing plant. It's that's the normal process. Um, if it's cold, then certainly feel free to keep them inside. They really want to be outside. Yes, a nice, warm, sunny, protected yep. position. Yeah, yep. mm. in front of a north-facing wall or something. Yeah, Mike, there's yeah, your answer. No, that's great. All right, cheers. Good luck. Thanks, Hope guys. you're enjoying pineapple juice uh, in the months and years to come. Barbara is in Pasadena. Now, you have been... Um, no, you need to repot your native plants there, Barbara. Yes, I have uh, grown some native uh, pine seed plants. They're coming up and I'd like to replant put them into another pot. I have a pot that has mainly sandy soil in it. What should I add to it? Or shouldn't I? Uh, well, if you've got good compost, it, did you say you've got compost or soil? No, just sandy soil. Oh, sandy soil, right. Oh, well, then you need some compost. Um, right. Just be careful in uh, if you're buying uh, the proprietary material. You don't need too much phosphorus, probably, depending on what kind of native plants that you've got. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, you need to get the organic matter into that soil if it's sandy. So just getting, uh, and I'd be putting in probably up to uh, uh, 40 or 50% of good compost with that soil. Mix it up now and leave it alone. Stir it up two or three times during winter and then uh, do your repotting in springtime. But why don't we get a second opinion on that? Uh, well, uh, certainly I'm always in favour of compost. And look, the good quality bag composts, um, uh, uh, pretty good these days, you know. And if um, uh, I would be cautious of using phosphorus fertilisers, but the compost itself, the compost would, is okay. It should be okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. All right, well, there you go, Barbara, easily answered. And thank you to the texter that says, My friend grows pineapples on the west coast of the Air Peninsula, which would make a bit of sense. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, Emily in Port Augusta, you've got a um, a problem that I think many of us might envy. What to do with excess lemons? Good, good morning. Good morning. I've just been completing my Saturday morning ritual of reading the Good Gardening newsletter and annotating it ready to post it back to my technophobe mum <laughs> <laughs> so she can access your lovely newsletter. Oh, thank you. Um, I got a shock, though, when I read about the, um, you were saying, if you've still got lots of lemons on your tree, and mine aren't ripe yet, to um, take 30 to 40% off. And I'm just wondering, with that 30 to 40% off, will they ripen once they've been picked? Or what do I do with the ones that I'm um, stripping from the tree? I guess the problem of writing and keeping it brief is you can't put in everything. My assumption, of course, is the lemons are there. They are from last season. Last springtime, the flowers came out, the flowers set, and eventually lots of lemons hang on the tree, and they stay there all during the season. The wonderful thing about lemons, you can have lemons all during the season. But if they are mature fruits then uh, I would be removing at least 50% of them or a large number of them, just harvest them, squeeze them up and put them into uh, uh, freezing bags or into little cubes and you can have lemon juice, uh, a frozen lemon juice. But if you've got... Uh, what I'd do is look at the tree and if there are mature uh, lemons, harvest those... But the ones that are yet to mature, let them mature on the tree because if you pick them, they're not going to uh, go through that maturation stage. Okay, does that answer your question, Emily? That does, yes. Lovely. Thank you. Nice to hear from you. Jenny's in Dernan Court. Now, you've got a worm juice question, Jenny. Uh, yes, thank you. I have an issue with uh, worm juice um, being so prolific in wintertime when my garden is very wet. 
and um, I'm not quite sure how best to use it when the garden is already damp from um, from the rain. Can you store it? I can, but uh, I'm, I, I thought I understood that it was best used fresh. Used fresh. Okay. Well, that's why don't we ask Tim? Can you store worm juice? Can you make it into little uh, frozen cubes, yeah. or do you have to use it fresh? No, um, well, you can store it, and you might lose a little bit of bacterial life. But look, that's uh, it, it is it is storable, right? which is why you can buy. Uh, jars of uh, you know, plastic containers of worm juice in, in this. The other thing is that you know it's a very difficult product to overuse. I mean, sure, uh, if if your soil is wet, that means that you don't dilute the worm juice very much when you put it on the soil. But the worm juice itself, it's it's you won't have enough quantity to to harm your soil. You can use a very large amount. So even if you put it on the lawn, the lawn would say thank oh, you. Oh, absolutely. You can use it anywhere and on anything, and you can use it in very large amounts. And normally we, we say dilute, but if you've got a lot, you dilute less. You talked about uh, you can buy worm juice, yeah. but you can now buy uh, products which are supposed to be to uh, stimulate the soil or stimulate the plants, uh, yes. probiotics. Uh, how effective are they? Uh, potentially very, very effective. Now, there's all sorts of things that people call plant stimulants, okay? So a lot of them are just bugs, right? And they're the sporated forms of bugs that are going to grow in the soil or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, nitrogen is a plant stimulant, you know? So people, or the, the word, the term is difficult, but if you're getting an organic product, you know, if you're looking for one that's got an organic label on it, a certification label, then it basically it is biological. But if you've got a bottle full of, of a material and it says, you know, th this is a, a soil or plant stimulant, um, to me, the microbes have got to be alive because if they're dead, they're yes. not going to be much value. Absolutely. And if you have your uh, bottle of microbes and it's sitting in the garage on a hot day and then it gets to, you know... Uh, 35, 40 degrees, well, are they still alive? Are they still valuable? Right. There can be a very, very wide range of quality, and some of the products will tell you this is really good for your soil because it's live organisms, but it's totally sterile and safe for you. Contradiction, okay? So the, in the really good ones, I guess you're getting live organisms, but they're in the dormant phase. So you can store them, and usually often they will be in a dry packet. Okay, they won't be the liquid ones. Okay, well, good luck with that. Jenny, sounds like you can just go put your worm juice out with abandon. Um, George is in Hawker. Good morning, George. Deb Tribe had a little lamb. His hair was white as snow, and everywhere that Deb Tribe went, John Lamb was short to Oh, it's, that's wonderful, George Aldridge, who was a fantastic cartoonist. That, sits, that cartoon you sent sits in pride of place on my study desk, George. Thank oh, you good, so good much. Good on you, Deb. And now, I do have a serious, well, a serious sort of question. I was gifted a, a passion fruit vine uh, in, in a fairly advanced stage in a tub, John. And I'm up here in Hawker, and I, I'm wanting to know whether I can replant it or replace it in the ground or leave it in the tub or what time of year, and can I use... Kangaroo dung as a as a composting material. <laughs> well, there Does we it? are. Well, in terms of the first part, uh, if it's a passion fruit, I wouldn't be putting it into the ground or repotting at this time. Wait until okay, the yep. soil becomes a little bit warmer towards the end of September. As for yep. the kangaroo dung, I've got a better qualified person than myself. Tim Marshall. <laughs> yeah, we well, can use any sort of dung. Uh, kangaroo dung is going to be less moist and have more fibrous material. So to break it down in a compost, you're going to have to mix it with other things and add a bit more water than, say, if you were using you know, one of the more commonly available dungs. But eventually, it will produce the same end product. All right, so I'd mix it with sheep dung, which is also in proliferation up <laughs> yeah. here. So. Well, make sure you water it. Uh, so water it's, it it's, down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. look, thanks for your help, gang. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Lovely to hear from you, George. Hope you're doing lots of wonderful pictures. Just sensational they are. And on pineapples, Fiona says, we grow heaps of pineapples from tops out in full sun in Port Augusta. Yep. So there you go. They're being grown around our yep. state, and we might not have realised how yep. many people are growing them. All they need is a little <laughs> drop of sunshine. Exactly yes. right. Uh, we have uh, two for the price of one. You've got John Lamb and we've got Tim Marshall. In fact, we're going to have three for the price of one shortly because we're going to catch up with Brett Draper. 
Harper on some gifts for good gardening mums for Mother's Day tomorrow. But I also have a couple of gifts for you as well. If you've not won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month, I have a couple of May ABC Gardening Australia editions to give away right now if you'd like to call in on 1300 222 891. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It's been great sitting in the middle of a couple of gardening experts this morning and listening to them. Uh, Tim Marshall, our organic gardening expert, of course, joining us, John, because he's in Adelaide and drops into the studio, which is fantastic. Thank you for doing that, Tim. Good. Thank yeah, you. And, and from my big whole point of view, yeah, thank yeah. you very much. You and I have been talking on Talkback Gardening for quite some time. Yes. And each time you come in, I learn so much. It's yeah. wonderful that you share your information and you explain it so beautifully from a gardening point of view. So I look very much forward to next time you come to Adelaide. Thank you. Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thank Tim you. Marshall, our wonderful organic gardening expert, one of the best in Australia, and someone that was a great friend of this program, often in John's chair when John's not around, is Brett Draper, garden centre manager and basically all-round good guy. <laughs> Hello, Brett. Good morning, Deb. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you. It's Mother's Day tomorrow, so I bet it's very busy in the garden centre today. It is. Look, the sun's out, and of course, when the sun's out, that brings the people out, and there's some wonderful colour and garden centres at the moment. When people, the gardeners, come in for a plant for mum, uh, are they focused on chrysanthemums? Are they still as popular as they were, or are they moving away from chrysanthemums to other plants? Uh, I would say, look, they are still popular, John, but I don't think they're quite as popular as they have been, because there are quite a, a, a wide range of some beautiful other you know, um, uh, colourful, wow sort of plants that are available. Um, I guess as as people's tastes change a little bit as well. So, um, you know, look, cyclamens um, are just one of those. There's a whole selection of cyclamens from mini cyclamens to bit bigger ones. And they are, are quite, um, they're often given um, as a gift um, for mum because they are wonderful on a, on a table centre or, or somewhere in a, in a nice, light, well-lit room. Um, and they're just probably a little bit more compact and a little bit maybe easier to look after than what, say, a chrysanthemum might be. A quick comment on care for a cyclamen if mum has been given a plant and she wants to keep it inside. Yeah, look, John, they, they don't generally like too much artificial heating. So you can enjoy them. I would suggest enjoy them inside during the day um, and then at night just maybe pop them outside in the cool night air. Um, and, and, and if you do have them inside, don't have them away from, from direct heating, if that makes sense. Um, um, and so they can be in a room, but just away from that direct heating. And it's really important too, just to check the moisture of them and make sure that when you do pop them outside, that if it does feel light, for instance, or the top of the soil when you pop your finger in feels a little bit dry, to actually give them a water as well. So a cyclamen for mum, what about a different kind of a plant? One of the other really popular plants, John, um, is your Phalaenopsis orchid or your moth orchid. Um, and many people will have seen them um, around um, um, in businesses and things on counters. But they are something where you can put on a, on a, on a kitchen bench or a windowsill in a nice well-lit situation and they will flower for several weeks, maybe six or eight weeks from that, that flowering uh, stem that's there. And that's one plant that don't mind the warmth. So they can be in a slightly warmer environment but they do like a little bit of humidity so you know a misting of the top of the pot if you like with some rainwater um, every now and then to increase that humidity does increase the longevity of the flower and the plant. On the moth orchids Brett once they have flowered what do you do mm-hmm. to care for them and in, in the hope that they'll flower again one day? Yeah Deb so if you select a nice light you know well lit sort of situation um, and look at the flower spike um, you'll find when you look at the stem of the flower spike, there'll be these little nodes, so these little marks on the stem. Where the flowers have finished uh, from the, you know, the end of the stem, work back to uh, along the stem, going down the stem to where the next node is, that little mark is, and just make a cut. Cut off the the, the, bent, the spent flowers above that, and they'll often reshoot mm-hmm. and reflower from that spot. Don't cut them back down at the bottom because you might be cutting off some um, flowering or next season's flowering, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's too I, late I, for mine then. 
Uh, <laughs> well, a liquid feed regularly too would be a good idea, Deb. So if you've got one um, and it's looking healthy, um, each time you, it needs a water, maybe get a, a specific orchid fertiliser for blooming. Um, you'll find orchid blooming fertilisers on the market and follow the directions and apply that each time and you should then uh, be able to get some more flowering happening. And don't overwater, of course. Yes, water on the sparing side. Only only fertilise when it needs watering. So don't water for the sake of fertilising. Combine it when it needs the water. Coming back to the chrysanthemums, there are different types. You can buy little small or the relatively small chrysanthemums in pots and then mm. there are the, like a, a garden chrysanthemums and they are just smothered in flowers. What's the difference and, and uh, are they both uh, suitable as plants to give to mum? Yes, they are, John. So you're right. There are some, some, some smaller growing garden, what we call garden chrysanthemums, which probably uh, only grow to maybe 30, 40 centimetres maximum. And they found they form a really lovely mounded habit. And when they flower, they flower right over the bush. And they're ideal in the garden or a container, which is lovely. You then have your taller growing ones. And they're often the ones that people use for cut flowers. Um, and they have generally much, much bigger flowers. And they can have single flowers or double flowers. Um, and often you'll find them in a pot in a garden centre, for instance, where they're multi-planted. So they have three or four plants in a pot. So you get a massive display. Um, but after flowering, you can actually plant them into the garden as well. And by planting them into the garden, you'll have them come up um, and flower again at that for this time next year. Um, so they are all suitable, but they just, they just grow a little bit differently. So they have much longer stems. Britt Draper, wonderful information as usual and uh, there has to be an excuse for bringing you back onto the program. <laughs> Maybe I can sleep in one of these winter nights and <laughs> 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 winter mornings. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much, Brett. And Brett, of course, is now busy sort of organising uh, the big display at the Royal Show, which Absolutely. is coming around very, very quickly. And we're talking about competitions being open next week here on the, the program, Saturday morning program. Uh, are you already, Brett, getting ready to enter some competitions yourself? Absolutely, Deb. I'm looking through trying to work out what I'm going to enter this year. So yes, it is that time of year. I know it's a little, it's a few, you know, a few weeks out yet, but now it's the time to think about it. It is indeed. I'm sure we'll catch up with you on that soon. As always, Brett, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome, and happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there oh, for tomorrow. Lovely. Same uh, back to all the mums in your life, Brett. Brett Draper, a garden centre manager, really helps with a huge team, but helps completely drive the gorgeous displays that we see at the Royal Adelaide Show every year. Yes, and we'll give you all the details long before the show. Make sure you attend. Yes, congratulations to Terry in Alberton and Stephen in Peterborough, who won themselves our magazines today. And Luke has grown two pineapples from Topsy. Christie's Downs, also bananas, so doing very well indeed. All right, and for those of you that are gardeners, don't waste those autumn leaves. Hopefully we've given you plenty of reasons why you should convert them into soil and healthy soil. And then I'll say until next week, good gardening and love your mums. <laughs>